That famous hill country hospitality you told me so much about, I said. It positively warms the heart to see folks welcome you back the way they have. Sorry, Old Red said. It worried me, that sorry. It's not a word I'd heard often from my older brother. No matter how many times his detective in dragged me within spitting distance of death's door. All right. Froggy said, and he pointed his shotgun at a large, low-hanging branch jutting from an elm tree nearby. Over there. The fellow holding our horses led them, and by extension us, beneath the branch. This did not bode well. In fact, it boded the worst. Behind us, I could hear the creak of saddle leather, hoofbeats coming slowly closer, a shushing sort of sound as something rough and heavy was slid out of a saddlebag. Someone reached out and whipped my hat off my head. No wonder old Red was sorry. He had good reason. We both did. In a calm moment, you could have told me it all end like this, and I'd have just laughed and said, How right, how proper. All these years tied to my brother's apron strings, and then I'm hung from the same rope. Oh, that's me, all right. A dangle from the last branch of my family tree. Only this wasn't a calm moment, and I sure as hell wasn't laughing. Especially not when the noose went around my neck. Chapter 1. Gertie and Adeline. Or, Old Red Reopens an Old Wound. And it's a bloody one. I suspect you're asking yourself a number of questions right about now. For instance, who are these unlucky SOBs with the ropes around their necks? And where in God's name are they? And why would anyone want to string them up? And can they unstring themselves somehow? And perhaps most important of all, do I give a crap? Allow me to answer all of the above the best way I know how. Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there were two young cowboys. One was named Otto Anglemeyer, Big Red to his friends, and he was strapping, handsome, and as charming as the day is long, and all through the night, too. He was also me. The other was a tad older, a good sight smaller and infinitely crabbier. This was Gustav, old red Anglingmeyer, my brother. One day, somewhere in the vicinity of July 1892, old red got religion. Not your usual church-going hymn-singing kind, though. No, he became a Sherlockitarian. Or maybe you'd call it a Holmesadist. Either way, it was Sherlock Holmes he worshipped. He first saw the light when I read out a magazine yarn by Holmes's disciple, John Watson. It was me reading the scripture because my brother couldn't do it for himself. He can pick out enough letters to read your average brand, but words, let alone sentences and paragraphs and stories and such, remain beyond him. Yet, despite this minor impediment, old Red got it in his head that he'd make almost as good a detective as the great one, if given half a chance. And miracle of miracles, more than one such chance came his way, and he proved himself a top-rail deducifier. So much so that your 
admittedly not particularly humble narrator was moved to put pencil to paper and chronicle his Sherlockery. The result? Old Red found his true calling as a sleuth, albeit an unemployed one. I found my true calling as a tale-teller, albeit an unpublished one, and the both of us were finally striving for a higher purpose than not starving between roundups. End Part 1 If you're going to forge on with Part 2, I suggest you make yourself comfortable. It takes up the rest of this book. It begins when, instead of the no thank you or not for us or silence I'd become accustomed to from publishers, I recently received a contract plus $200 to show it was good for something besides wallpaper. <laughs> One of my yarns would soon see print. My ever-glum brother had been especially sulky of